It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, March 28, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. A Sitka hiker was medevaced on Saturday after reportedly falling hundreds of feet on the side of Mount Verstovia. According to a Coast Guard press release, the hiker called 911 on his cell phone and Sitka Mountain Rescue responded, sending a team at Mount Verstovia to locate him. The rescue team called for Coast Guard support in locating and hoisting the hiker shortly after noon. A helicopter crew from Air Station Sitka transported the hiker to awaiting emergency medical personnel who took him to the hospital for further treatment. Weather in Sitka was sunny and clear on Saturday, and according to the release, the helicopter rescue took about 45 minutes total, from takeoff to landing. A state trooper dispatch report identified the hiker as 61-year-old Jeffrey Wright. On Sunday, Wright posted to the local Facebook group Sitka Chatters, thanking emergency responders in Sitka and the Coast Guard. Wright wrote that he had been using an app that recorded his hiking progress and elevation. When he fell while attempting to pass a rock outcropping, his app tracked a 1,100-foot drop in elevation, much farther than the 200 feet initially reported. Sitka Schools Superintendent Frank Hauser has been named one of three finalists for the superintendent's job in Anchorage. Hauser has been superintendent in Sitka for one academic year. Prior to coming to Sitka, he spent most of his professional career in the Anchorage school system, most recently as principal of Service High School. In his application for the top job in Anchorage, Hauser wrote, The Anchorage School District was my home for over two decades, and I care deeply about the students, parents, families, and staff in the district. I have strong ties to ASD and would be honored to serve as superintendent. In a statement, the Sitka School Board said that Hauser has been transparent about applying for the Anchorage job and, quote, Although we are saddened at the thought of him leaving our district, we are supportive of his professional endeavors. A team of researchers has released their findings from an investigation into the Beach Road landslide in Haines. Investigators found the area is stable for now, but could slide again after another large rainstorm or earthquake. They presented their findings, as well as recommendations for management approaches, at a town hall via video conference last week. KHNS's Corinne Smith reports. After an extensive investigation that spanned more than a year, geologists say loose, saturated soil and weak bedrock were behind the December 2020 landslide. Eight inches of rain fell in 24 hours before the catastrophic event that buried homes and killed two people. Engineer George McCann with the Oregon-based geotechnical firm Landslide Technologies says nearby areas didn't have the same issues. The catastrophic landslide occurred where the hillside is weakest and the ground pressures are highest. It's like the perfect storm. Elsewhere, the hillside on either side, the subsurface materials are not as weak. Maybe the groundwater may have been the same. We don't know at the time. But at least we've seen the evidence that the materials are not as weak to the east and west of the landslide. But he says the slope is stable for now. If you just spread your fingers just very slightly to like a tenth of an inch or so, that's the small amount of movement that's occurred over the past five months. So it's a very small amount of movement. His firm, along with the Anchorage-based R&M Consultants, Inc., was contracted by the state to study the landslide. The multi-stage investigation involved calculating any continued movement, slope stability, water and debris flows, analyzing geologic hazards, and making recommendations for management. He says a major earthquake could present especially big risks. Now, in December 2020, there wasn't an earthquake. There was not. Uh, But we are asked to study seismic events or earthquakes because this is a 
fairly active seismic area. And there is a fault area on the inlet to the south of this hillside. McCann says large earthquakes are rare, but it could be hazardous for not only the beach road area, but other sloped areas as well. These are like um, fairly infrequent events, right? So you could have seismic events that could have, let's say, a 500-year recurrence interval or a 1,000-year recurrence interval. But when they happen, they can have some effects. Now, it's not just beach road, right? So many areas throughout Haines where you've got these steep hillsides are going to feel the effects of seismic events. The engineer's report also lays out several recommendations to improve the community's response to conditions that make landslides likely. McCann says management could look like improving drainage in the area and monitoring rainfall during severe storms to determine whether residents should evacuate. But as you do more monitoring, you'll figure out where is that threshold. At what threshold of precipitation would we become more concerned about it and maybe take more critical measures like advise people to not be in that area. McCann and the team of researchers encourage the public to look through the findings and recommendations and bring questions for the team to the next town hall scheduled for next month. In Haines, I'm Corinne Smith. Alaska's congressional delegation wants to make a temporary ban on Russian seafood imports permanent. The U.S. Senators Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan discussed the Russian seafood ban and a plan to ship surplus canned salmon to Ukraine during their legislative update on Thursday at Comfish in Kodiak. KMXT's Kirsten Dobroth reports. The federal legislative forum at Comfish opened with tributes to the late Congressman Don Young, who was also supposed to be part of the panel. Afterwards, however, the ongoing effects of the Russian invasion of Ukraine were top of mind for Alaska senators. Appearing via Zoom, Senator Murkowski described the close ties between Alaska's seafood industry and Ukraine. We have more than 2,200 temporary seasonal workers from Ukraine uh, who at this time of year would be getting ready to join us for the, the salmon Uh, processing season. Murkowski was uncertain how the conflict might disrupt those workers from obtaining H-2B visas and filling summer processor jobs. However, she told the Comfish audience that Alaska salmon might also benefit Ukrainians in Europe who have been displaced by the Russian invasion. We're actually working with um, some in the Ukrainian parliament to provide some of our uh, surplus canned salmon. You have people uh, in Ukraine, you have refugees that are in need of humanitarian relief, including food. Murkowski said her office has discussed that issue with the White House, although no decision has been made. Both she and Senator Sullivan applauded President Biden's executive order banning Russian seafood imports to the U.S. and believed still more could be done. Russia has embargoed American fish and seafood products since 2014, when the U.S. imposed sanctions over its annexation of Crimea. Senators Sullivan and Murkowski introduced a bill early last month that would ban Russian seafood in response. The legislation would also close loopholes on Russian seafood hitting the American market by way of Chinese processors. Sullivan said there's new momentum for passage since the invasion. We finally have an opportunity to address it. We're doing it with the Biden administration in terms of an executive order, but we're also trying to pass our legislation that would make this permanent until we get an even level playing field with the Russians in terms of seafood trade, which we haven't had for seven years. 
the federal legislative forum covered infrastructure money heading to Alaska, increasing funds for research on dwindling salmon numbers across the state, and federal fixes to expediting payouts for fishermen through fishery disaster designations. The senators also spent time discussing future conservation efforts for the proposed Pebble Mine site near Bristol Bay. The project's permit was denied by the Army Corps of Engineers in 2020. Both senators said they support that decision, although long-term environmental protections are largely out of their hands. Reporting in Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobroth. Federal investigators have released an extensive report outlining the circumstances around a fatal sightseeing plane crash last summer in Misty Fjord's National Monument Wilderness near Ketchikan. The Southeast Aviation floatplane pilot and five tourists who had arrived by cruise ship were killed in the disaster. KRBD's Eric Stone reports. Investigators haven't pointed to a cause for the August 2021 crash yet, says National Transportation Safety Board Alaska Region Chief Clint Johnson. This is not the final report by any stretch of the imagination. You have to keep in mind that this is a major investigation, so there's a number of disciplines involved. Typically for a major investigation, our policy is, is to open that public docket before the final report comes out. Among the hundreds of pages of reports, photos, interviews, and data are observations about the weather. Pilots who flew through the area shortly before and after told investigators that clouds were as low as 600 to 800 feet above the ground in some valleys. That includes where the de Havilland Beaver crashed southwest of Mirror Lake. In interviews with investigators, peers and superiors described the 64-year-old pilot Rolf Lanzendorfer as a careful, safety-conscious airman who was not afraid to call off a flight for bad weather. He was an experienced pilot with roughly 8,000 hours flying similar aircraft. He had flown seasonally for Southeast Aviation since 2015. Federal investigators note that Lanzendorfer was involved in another float plane accident just under a month before the fatal Misty Fjords crash. In July 2021, the pilot struck a more than six-foot-tall buoy while departing from Kaufman Cove on Prince of Wales Island. A Federal Aviation Administration investigation found that Lanzendorfer acted carelessly and skipped pre-flight checks for obstacles in a rush to return to Ketchikan for another flight. Lanzendorfer was the only occupant at the time and was uninjured in the accident. He returned to work about a week before his final flight. Investigators found no record of additional training before he resumed flying. A report included in the document dump says the plane didn't seem to have any mechanical trouble before the Misty Fjords crash. The NTSB's Johnson says federal crash investigators are still working on determining the cause and issuing safety recommendations. We are anticipating hopefully that this uh, accident investigation will be done and published hopefully by midsummer, early summer, midsummer of this year. Southeast Aviation is a small, family-run carrier in Ketchikan that until last year operated sightseeing and charter flights. It suspended operations shortly after the crash and has yet to reopen. In a statement, Southeast Aviation says it continues to grieve with the families of those lost in the crash last year and says the company will continue to cooperate with investigators. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. 